Hi, you're listening to the RVC Podcast, a ministry of River Valley Church in Fresno, California. Turn your Bibles with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 2. We're starting a brand new series called Seven. We're going to be looking at the seven churches uh, that Jesus wrote letters to. And uh, I know it will be an encouragement to each and every one of us as we allow what the Lord has to say in his own evaluation, his own uh, opinion about what they were doing, and, uh, and really giving each one of us a challenge so that we might grow in Christ-likeness. Uh, the book of Revelation really is a prophetic book. Uh, it's broke up into three different sections. Chapter 1, uh, John tells us what the, the, the book is about. He says, the things that you see, the things that are, and the things that will come. Chapter 1 is about the things that, that Jesus revealed himself to John, who the author of this, uh, this book is, uh, John the Apostle. Chapters 2 and 3 are really about the things which are, that really it's the church age, it's the, the things that are happening right now. And then chapter 4 and following, really about a future event that's going to happen, perhaps not in the, uh, in the distant future. And, uh, and so that's how the book of Revelation breaks itself up so that we can understand it. But for our study, we're going to look at the seven churches beginning today with the church of Ephesus. Now, Jesus is the head of the church. He's the risen Savior, and he is the sovereign judge of what uh, we do and, and what he calls us to do. He only can accurately inspect his church and give an assessment of his church. The ones that you and I might look at, the churches that perhaps throughout history, even in our 21st century day, we may look at a church and say, wow, they are, they are rich, they are wealthy. I don't mean monetarily, I just mean that they have everything going. But, but Jesus might look at that church and say that church is poor, that they are spiritually impoverished because he can see almost with x-ray vision what's happening inside. The ones that you and I look at and say, wow, they're alive, Jesus might give the assessment that they're actually a dying church. And the ones that are poor, those are the ones that are actually have real wealth. Like human nature, we judge on what we see on the outside, but Jesus sees the heart. He sees the internal health, if you would, with those x-ray vision eyes. And in these messages that Jesus gives to the church, he really says, guys, this is the reality. This is your true condition. Now, there's seven churches he writes to. Uh, it's not that because that was the only churches that existed in that time, but there were actually specific regions that he was writing to, a specific church, and then the mo multiple of gatherings that were happening in and around that area. Seven also is the number in the Bible of completion. So really these letters were not only for legitimate churches in that time period, for specific areas like the Church of Fresno, it would be all the churches that would be here in the Fresno Clovis community, but it was also for all the churches throughout all the ages, including today. It covers the many spiritual needs and conditions that churches have faced throughout uh, the ages. Um, some see these letters as really a progression, if you would, of kind of like time periods of the church. And it's really interesting as you follow the, the, the first letter of the church of Ephesus all the way to the church of Laodicea, many people can insert sort of like time periods that really freak you out when you look at what happens uh, as the letters kind of progressively get like the church goes from bad to worse as they actually stop listening to the Lord. The goal for us is to hear, though, to learn, to respond to the Lord. They were intended for the churches to read, but they also benefit us as individual Christians as we allow the Lord and the searchlight of his word to kind of uh, to, to inspect our own hearts and where we are. And so that's why the, 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 the author says, he who has and she who has an ear to hear, let them hear. That's you. 
The question is, are we going to listen? So as we study these letters the next seven weeks, and Jesus reveals to us kind of his assessment of the church, man, let it sink in. Let it be something that you and I can, can wrestle with and deal with. So it's Revelation 2. We're going to look at just the first seven verses this morning. And if you're having trouble, it's the very last book of the Bible. If you get to the map section, you went a little too far. Just make a left-hand turn. Here's what Jesus says. Verse 1, chapter 2. To the angel of the church of in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who called themselves apostles and are not, and you found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you do have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So as you can see very quickly, there's a lot of symbolism in the book of Revelation, and we're going to kind of dissect that and look at what that, that means. So first of all, one of the things that we, we want to understand is that when, when each letter that was written, he gives a description of Jesus that we find in chapter 1. Here it was, he who holds the stars in his hand and who walks among the lampstands. He opens with that, uh, that, uh, that description. He gives an assessment, I know your works. And then he ends with a promise. Most churches that he writes to, in fact, five uh, out of the seven, he gives a warning to, like we read here, unless you repent, the lampstand would be removed. So the church of Ephesus, this is the forgetful church, as Jesus told them to remember. Remember from where they have fallen. It was founded by the Apostle Paul. Timothy had spent a lot of time ministering there, as well as John the Apostle in his later years. We, we read about the beginning of the church in the book of Acts chapter 19 and 20. We can see that, that Paul went and founded that church. He spent up to three years there ministering to that church. It was a major city, uh, almost like we think of like L.A. or New York or a, uh, on a major trade route. And they became such an effective church they changed the culture there. We read about a riot that took place uh, in the book of Acts um, chapter 19 when, when the, the, there was a group of tradesmen that, that were making idols, little trinkets to sell, if you would, because uh, there was a temple there, uh, the temple to the great Diana, or Michael Jackson called the Dirty Diana. And it was, uh, um, did you remember that song? That's what the song's about. It's about this temple there in Ephesus. And, and, and so many people were responding to the gospel. They were realizing they were worshiping these false idols that they just broke up their idols. And the tradesmiths started a riot saying, we're going to lose out on money. Never mind the fact that they're listening to the gospel and the true one God is, is, is wanting to save them and, and rescue them. Man, they just started a big old mess. And so Paul kind of hightailed it out of there. Jesus was changing lives there. You read the book of Ephesus or the, the, the book of Ephesians, the letter that Paul wrote when he was in prison. 
And we see this word love, love, love continue throughout that letter, that sixth chapter letter. We would look at that church and say, man, they are on fire. They have such passion, such zeal and hunger for the Lord. Jesus, the one who holds the stars, and we read in Revelation when it says the angels. It's not that there was like a literal angel over that church. Angel in the New Testament means messenger. And sometimes based on the, the, the kind of surrounding information, we know it was an angel that was, you know, an angel of God or it was a messenger. And so really it's, they hold that Jesus is the one who holds the leader in his hand. He has divine authority over that leader. And that's really what it's, it's representing here. He's divine authority over his church. And he walks among the candlesticks. In the, in the first chapter of Revelation, we read that the candlesticks were the actual churches. I love, what a great picture. You know, I pray, when I pray for RBC and I pray for our gathering times, I always pray, Lord, walk among us like you walked among the candlesticks, that literally his very presence is here. If you ever have a, a discussion with somebody that says, well, I can actually be a Christian, I really don't need to be a part of church, why should I be a part of a, a local gathering on a regular, consistent basis? There's a lot of reasons why you should do it, but one, how about that Jesus is into his church? He actually is here among us and died for his church. And what a great picture it is that we see the candlestick as a lamp a light in a dark world. The church is always to be a bright light to those who are lost in darkness. This is not supposed to be a holy huddle where we cover our lights. We're supposed to let it shine so that other people can actually find Jesus Christ and actually be saved and set free like us. In verse 2 and 3, we read this first little section. If you're taking notes today, you can write this down. You can also jot it down on the side of your Bible. Number one is this, we read about the Lord's assessment of this church, what they had and what they were missing. It's really the spiritual condition of the church, and he commends their work. What do we learn about this church? Well, they were busy serving the Lord. They were a very active church. They were ministering to the hurting. They were doing lots of activity that you and I would characterize like, wow, they really are doing a great job as a church in our community. They were sacrificial. That word toil, it means to, to the point of exhaustion is what the word really means. And so they were sacrificing their lives for the sake of other people. They were steadfast. He tells us actually twice that they were patient under trials. So the, 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 when it talks about the patience that they had, they were, you know, all of them were awaiting the Lord's return. They, in their you know, first century church, they thought maybe Jesus is going to return in a few years. And the longer they continued to serve the Lord, it became more and more difficult to really like, like live for God. They were under heavy persecution. And so Jesus commends them that you're patiently enduring the trials you face as you await my return. They were looking for him. They were also a discerning church. He says, you, you have found those who call themselves to be messengers of my word. You found them to be false and you've rejected them. In Acts chapter 20, Paul gathered the uh, Ephesian elders and he says, guys, here, here's what's going to happen. When I leave, when I'm out of here and out of the way, I know that savage wolves are going to rise up and even some among you so that they might, they might pull you away to some false teaching and doctrine. They were discerning. Man, when, when, when new things came out, new books came out, new TV programs came out, they actually were able to say, like, you know what? What that guy is preaching, 
is heresy. It's false. It's actually not true. These are all qualities that we should have as a church in our community. These are all qualities that every church in our community should have, and they do. They had backbone, we might say, in our day. They didn't cave into the shifting cultures. Not only did they reject false teaching, but they also didn't tolerate wickedness. They purged it like poison from their midst. It means that they called sin, sin. They said, this is actually wrong. It's dishonoring to God, and we're not going to actually like, like celebrate it here. We're going to say, guys, we all have sin we have to repent over, but we're not going to continue in it because this is the Lord's church. And in verse 6, if you track down, it says they hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Who are the Nicolaitans? Their name literally means conquering of the people. So a lot of scholars believe that this was a sect, a group of people, if you would, and their name actually kind of speaks of what they were. Some see them as ones who created a division between leaders and the, the laity, if you would, or people. That there was this chasm that they created that, that the Ephesian church actually hated. What was that chasm? It was inserting a human being in between human beings and God. There's a lot of times people will come to me and say, hey, can you pray for me? Because I know God literally listens to your prayers. Right? And sometimes we've all had that thought like, you know, man, if I just could have had Billy Graham pray for me before he died, right? Like things would have happened. Let's get real. Do we have those kinds of thoughts? You're like, oh, man, if, I don't know if I want you to pray for me, brother. You know what I mean? I, I want somebody that's got a radio program. The deeds of the Nicolaitans created this division. Hey, you come to me, and I will talk to God for you. Why does God hate that? Because it's the reason why he died on the cross for our sins. So that you and I and human beings who are separated from God now have direct access to him. You don't need a person. You don't need to go through another human being. And not only does this happen sort of in that spiritual hierarchy, if you would, of like you go and you pray and this person will go and pray for you. No, you have direct access. But it can also happen in churches today where, the, you know, kind of the, there's this thing where, you know, a church leader or a pastor or a shepherd, you know, it's kind of like, you know, I, I don't know if that's really what the Lord wants for you. You know what I mean? Sort of this sort of controlling, like, I need to ask the pastor, should I marry this person? You know what? No, you shouldn't marry that person. Like, you might want to check. I mean, if, if I tell you, like, listen, they're a crazy. Don't marry them. My personal opinion. But sort of like this, you know, should we sell our home, pastor? You know, I prayed about it. I don't feel like you should sell it. Like I'm some kind of, you know what I mean, financial guru and you need to come and talk to me. I'm going to tell my kids who not to marry and to marry, but you know, you guys figure it out, right? You don't need a man to go represent you before God because you already have one, the man Christ Jesus, amen? He says, I hate them, I hate that, the deeds of them, and so do you. So he gives us this commendation, man, it's just like, you guys... It's, it's almost like the beginning of that parent-teacher conference. Let me tell you all the great things that Johnny is doing. And you're going like, you know what? We're only five minutes in. I know this is a half-hour meeting, and she's about wrapping up on the good stuff. <laughs> it's like, and, and, and. Nobody has a special connection. We all have a special connection to God, and it's because of Jesus Christ. 
He also says you do it all for his namesake. It wasn't for their glory. I mean, they had all the right pieces in place for this to be such an amazing church. And it was. It was. Remarkable traits. And he, again, he mentions over again in verse 3, their patience and their steadfastness, and they didn't give up in the face of difficulty. They're so needed in our day that we can almost sort of forget, like, dude, these are qualities that we need to make sure that we have in place in our own individual lives, in the lives of this local fellowship, and the things that you and I encourage our brothers and sisters in other churches. That's what he said they had. Here's the Lord's assessment. But here's what he says that they were missing, what they didn't have. Despite this, I have this against you. And what they were missing was a first love relationship with Jesus. I want all of us to have an understanding of what Christianity is all about. We can find it right here in this letter to the church of Ephesus. What the Lord was really longing for wasn't so much the works that they were doing, but a loving relationship with them. He wanted fellowship with them. You guys remember the story of Mary and Martha. Martha and Mary were sisters. And Martha, it says, was busy serving at the house. Jesus was in the other room. Mary was at his feet. The others were listening to Jesus talk. And Mary kept walking by that, you know, that, the little pocket door in the kitchen. Oh, and she went. How, how many of you guys have a Martha as a sibling or like a family member or your mom? Don't raise your hand if your mom is here right now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just kind of like, oh gosh, I guess nobody really wants to help me out. You know what I mean? And gee, I did all this stuff for you guys. I mean, like full on manipulation. Go to In and Out for Thanksgiving if that's the way it's going to be, right? And finally, Mary, Mary's just there at Jesus' feet. Martha is just busy serving. And finally, she can't take it anymore. And she steps in and she says, Jesus, would you tell my lazy sister Mary to get off her butt and start helping me around this house? And Jesus says to her, Martha, Martha, you're, you're busy about all these things. You're worried about all these things, but there's only one thing that is needed. And Mary has chosen that, and it won't be taken from her. He's not condemning working, nor did he condemn the church in Ephesus for all the great things that they did and had in their midst. He's saying that, that without this loving relationship with God, all the other works don't matter. That's what the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is about. If I, if I feed all the poor and I have not love, I'm just a clinging, you know, symbol. If I, if I give my body to be burned, right, and if I give all my money, but I don't have love, it means nothing. See, love is everything in this relationship that we have with God. They were a Martha, a Martha church when Jesus wanted them to be a Mary church, sitting at the feet of Jesus in fellowship. Relax. Get to know your Savior. Enjoy him. It, it, we're called to a relationship with God. It's not the motion that Jesus was after, but it was the emotion, right? That first love that he said that they'd had. Here's what I have against you. You have departed from your first love. First in priority. 
First in, in how it should be in your life and in my life. I think we can gain from this what you and I do for Jesus is important, but so is the why we do it. Love for Jesus prompted their works in the beginning, but now they were just a machine, a well-oiled machine that, again, everybody on the outside would be sending their staff. Can you go and tell us what's the secret sauce, church in Ephesus? Wow, it just seems like you're booming. Look at all the likes on Instagram you get nowadays. And Jesus says, listen, here's, what, here's what's really going on on the inside of your life. You've departed. You haven't lost your first love. You left your first love. You've abandoned the love you had at first. It was a deliberate act, very different than losing. It would also mean that as they were losing this cooling off of their love and passion for Jesus, that the things they were doing for one another were actually void of love as well. That was a missing element in what they did for one another, taking care of one another. We read in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah, God speaks to the prophet in this indictment to the children of Israel. In chapter 2, he describes the relationship he has with the nation of Israel like without a, as a husband and a wife. He says, I remember the days when you were a young bride and you followed me around, you know, speaking of this, this loving, passionate relationship that God had with the nation of Israel. I remember your love talking about me all the time. This forgetful church is hearing that same kind of message that Jeremiah spoke to the nation of Israel. The devotion that a believer had when they first believed. Maybe you can remember back as a new believer. Maybe you have friends that, maybe you grew up in church, but you had a friend that gave their life to Christ. And you're just like, whoa, dude, cool off, man. Like, don't get that excited. We're just going to Bible study. You know what I mean? New believers have such a zeal, such an excitement there. I, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I guess I'm 30 years away, 31 years away from when I actually, like, discovered Jesus or he discovered me and I became a believer. But I remember it's just, like, brand new. It's just so amazing that all my sins would be taken away. I literally was getting a D minus in Algebra 2. Ask my mom. She was at that parent-teacher conference. <laughs> I'm like, and? and? And nothing else? Okay. And literally, do you know the kinds of thoughts that went through my head? This is why I'm saying this now with all of our young people out. <laughs> is I thought to myself, in a hundred years, what's it really going to matter? Like, that will make you feel better about everything in life, by the way. So there you go. That was for free this morning. I mean, if someone would have told me you're going to have a phone one day that you could put in your pocket that will solve all these problems anyways, then I just would have like dropped Algebra 2. Can we teach something else? You know what I'm saying? Like just how about how to do a budget? That would have been awesome too. I'm not suggesting like, hey, tell your kids to like set the bar so low, just like Pastor Gordon in his senior year. What I'm saying is, is that in comparison... It was like it just didn't matter to me. You have new believing friends. They're just like, wow, they're so on fire for the Lord. Like that scene in Elf when he just comes in and throws his hat. I'm in love, I'm in love, and I don't care who knows, right? And then he gets in a fight with one of Santa's helpers. 
It's that kind of a passionate love, like a child with a new toy. Oh my gosh, this is the best thing ever. Or a new romantic love. Maybe you like have friends that are just like, guys, I fell in love. And I'm like, we'll see you in three weeks, right? And then it just sort of wears off, you know, a new married couple. I do premarital counseling. I see couples get married. I let them know, like, you got to continue to push on and have passion and stuff like that because there's a thing called a honeymoon period, and it will slowly kind of dissipate if you don't continue to do things that actually, like, foster a loving, passionate relationship. It's like the Lord says, what happened to that love? What happened to that passion? Maybe you're doing some self-eval right now. If you don't feel close to the Lord right now in your life, guess who moved away? Guess who pulled back? It's not the Lord. He's always there. We see his heart in this passage. This loving relationship is what he wants in our lives. It's amazing to me that the Lord longs for us to know him, experience his love, and to be all in with him. And not our efforts and our works, but, the, but, but our love for him. So we see the Lord's assessment. Here's what they had, here's what they were missing. But now we, number two is the Lord's admonishment, verse 5 through 7. He tells them to do three things, to remember, to repent, and to repeat the first works. To remember. To correct any departure from God is important to go back to that place of departure. He says, remember from where you have fallen, where you used to be with the Lord. Like the prodigal son as he was in the pig pen longing to eat some of the food that the pigs ate. He remembered what it was like to be in his father's house. Just the beginning, the first step to say, God, I remember what it was like when I had this, this clean, simple, passionate walk with you. To remember the passion you had for God. The hunger and the thirst that you had for God. The worship times that were sweet that you had with God. This morning I did a little throwback uh, on my Spotify. I was listening to a bunch of 90s worship music, man. And I just can't tell you sort of the emotions and feelings that began to stir as I, I, I listened to that song. You know, a bunch of vineyard stuff. Like that's, you know, you guys have it good right now. We like get a CD that just came out, and then they're like, we'll give you another one in five years. And we just eat that stuff up. That song, Breathe, This is the Air I Breathe. You guys remember that song? Right? Your very uh, presence, right? Living in me. This is the, this is the bread. Uh, we talked about having, you know, the, uh, it's a song I forgot about anyways. <laughs> this is my daily bread, your very word. And then he just goes in the chorus, Lord, I'm desperate for you. I'm lost without you. Like that kind of a relationship with God. He says, remember what it was like. When it was just about knowing him, the joy, the contentment, the stickers you would put on your car. Remember when you get those little fishies you could get at, uh, at the Bible house. I couldn't wait to get one. And then I got the one that had the Greek letters on it. And it was like, what does that mean? I'm like, I'm new to this. I don't know. I just, I just know God's going to bless my car, and I'm not going to get a ticket right now. Remember the notes you would write to the Lord, the journal entries about, God, you're doing this, and God, I'm trusting you for this, or that you couldn't wait to tell someone about Jesus Christ. You just couldn't wait for someone to bring it up. Sure, you were nervous. But I'd be at the gym back in the day when that was like my whole world, and, and I was like, you know, someone would say, hey, can you spot me? Like, let me tell you about Jesus. You know what I mean? Like that kind of, now, if someone's like, 
hey, how are you? I'm like, no eye contact. Don't have eye contact. You got to get in and out. You got to be done. As a new Christian, I remember, I remember I worked at Fresno Rack at time. I was like just a couple months in with Jesus. And I was getting off work so I could go to the college and career Bible study in the gold room at People's Church. Does anybody even remember that? And why did they have a gold room? And I went out to my car. I had an 85 VW Scirocco. That's an old car. And I looked and I'm like, son of a gun, somebody stole my stereo. And you know what my first reaction was? Lord, I guess you just want me to like drive in silence. You don't want me to listen to music. Some dudes broke in my car a year ago out front. True story. My neighbor Dupree hunted them down in his suburban. Police came three in the morning. And I'm like, Lord, as they sped off on their little bikes, 30-year-old dudes looking through my car, I'm like, Lord, uh, you know what would be awesome right now? is for like a, a broom handle to go right in those spokes and just boom, you know what I mean? You, you can see it. And just let it keep happening, you know what I mean? Just boom, boom, boom. Break those wrists, those dirty little wrists that were rifling through my car. You know what I mean? And then like, Lord, how could you? How could you? I do all this for you, and you allow my car to be broken into. Isn't that crazy? And I'm not, I'm not making that stuff up about the Scirocco. I literally was thinking to myself, Lord, I guess you don't want me to have a stereo. Tammy remembers me driving that car without a stereo. She's like, this is romantic. Awesome. Missing, missing dashboard. Right? You, you know how you kill a frog? You, here's another free one for you. You put it in water that's lukewarm, and then you slowly... Boil it. And before it notices, it's gone. Little froggy spirits up in heaven. And the exact opposite, it's like for us, we're the frog in the kettle, but we slowly just cool off. Our passion for Jesus starts to cool off. Busyness, distractions, and here's the dangerous part. We have activity that says we're doing well with the Lord. We have patient endurance. We discern when false teaching comes our way. We are constantly sacrificing our lives for kingdom stuff as we're slowly cooling off our passion for Jesus. This is a serious criticism that the Lord has for this church, that he would go so far as to say, and unless you repent, I will remove my presence from a loveless church. And that church no longer existed some couple hundred years later. No more church in Ephesus. Because the Lord was serious. It's like a marriage. Some of you have been married for a while. That honeymoon period is worn off. It's like a frog boiling in the kettle. You just become a butler and a maid. No, no longer lovers and friends. And the fallacy of an affair is like, oh, that would be exciting. Guess what? You'll ruin that relationship too. So fix your marriage. That was another free one for you. This wasn't a total departure, but just they lost their fervent passion, that first love. They cooled off. They were still serving. Their love for Jesus, though, was different. This is the challenge of having uh, second, third generation Christians. 
you know, I'm so grateful that our kids are growing up in church. I'm so grateful that I was able to raise my kids going to church every single week. They have zero choice with me being a pastor. The scary part for me is that they have a second generation, like right teaching, right doctrine, right servant's heart, no passion. I pray for our kids. I pray for our young people. God, give them a second generation experience. They don't have to taste gutter water to know that it's bad for you. But they have a first generation passion of God. I'm so grateful you saved me because I deserve death, hell, and destruction, just like the stories of my dad. They cooled off. It's a dangerous place to be because you open up your life to pursue other passions this world, money, idols, even ministry. You know how many pastors get stuck? Do you know how often I fall into this trap of forgetting my first love? over the decades of me serving in ministry, more than I wish I could admit. Because ministry can become that, anything's a substitute for God. If you can think of a time right now where you had more passion for the Lord, a, a, a greater hunger for his word, a greater desire to share him with somebody that was lost, here's what's true. You and I, if we can think of a time like that, we're backslidden. See, we think of backsliding as like going out in wild parties all over again. But backsliding is to slide back from a place that you remember from where you have fallen. Backslidden. This letter would say that there are a lot of Christians working hard for Jesus that are in a backslidden state leading churches in our day. He says, remember forgetful church. Were you in high school when you had that kind of zeal for the Lord? Was it in your college days? Was it last year or last summer? Or maybe as a small kid, you were just trusting in God and growing. You were hanging around other Christians so excited about what God was doing. He says, remember, that's the first step. The second one is this, to repent. It's a Greek word that means to change your mind. Have a different attitude towards the Lord. Continue serving not because it's right, but because of love. For the love of Christ, Paul said, the love of Christ compels me to preach the gospel. For love. This isn't a call to feel sorry or sad about your state. It is, or a call to feel anything. It's really just a call to turn around. Get back before it's too late. Because you'll continue to drift far from God as we see, as we follow these letters in sequence, that some of these churches, they fell very, very far. Remember from where you've fallen. Repent of that fallen state. And he says, and do the first works that you did at the beginning. To repeat. To repeat. Or you'll be removed from being a light. Jesus won't stay in a loveless church. And he ended up removing his presence from that church. Get back to the things you did at first. How important it is to get back to the simple gospel. The basics. The basics of Christianity. Jesus died to set you free so that you would pursue him with your whole heart forever. It's simple. To love him, to experience love from him, and to extend that love to other people. Love is everything. He said, repeat the first works that you did. What were you doing in those days? Remember how you used to spend time in his word, right? Not to check off a box, but man, you just wanted to know God. Remember spending time in prayer or hanging out with other Christians. It was uncomplicated. It was a simple walk with Jesus 
to know him, to just pursue him. He says, remember, forgetful church, it's about a simple walk and a loving relationship with God. What about you this morning? When you read this, this letter, I think that we would all look and say, man, I'm grateful I go to a church that has a discerning spirit, that we would not allow false teaching to come in, that I'm not saying, hey, read this next bestseller because, gee, it'll change your life as it veers you off from a passionate walk with God. We're going to protect RVC. We're not going to fall into false teaching and doctrine. We're going to encourage you to serve with your life and be sacrificial and patiently await the Lord. But God forbid we'd ever be a church that cools off and says, listen, you're doing just enough, man, listen. Walk with God. Pursue Him. Do some eval of your own heart and where you're at this morning. How have you fallen and how far? You might need to break some habits that are hindering your walk today. You say, God, this doesn't need to be my life. It's pulling me away from you. And you're definitely going to need to put some habits into your life to create some new ones again that get you back on track. Reading God's Word. Making time for it every single day, right? Spending time in prayer, singing songs of love to Jesus, making, getting with God's people a priority again. And choose to, you fall in love with Jesus again is essentially what, what, what the author is telling us. This letter would say, man, get back in that love relationship with God. I don't know what business you need to do with the Lord, but I do know this. He gave us a promise to the overcomers. The ones who overcome that, that temptation to stay cooled off, he said, to those who overcome, I will give the right to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. To get back to that love relationship, we're reminded once again of his grace and the promise of eternal life. When he talked about the paradise of God, we're speaking of heaven and the tree of life, which you read about first in the book of Genesis. And later on, we see that it's going to be a part of heaven. I, th I think about that idea of forgiveness in paradise, and I think about the thief that was on the cross. When Jesus reminds us of the paradise of God and the tree of life, we get this amazing picture of this promise that we can have in heaven. When the thief on the cross looked at Jesus and said, Lord, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And Jesus looked at him and said, today I tell you, you will be with me in paradise. And later on that guy died and Jesus gave up his life. And that promise of eternal life was granted to that man simply because he chose to believe. You know who's the overcomers in the Bible? Is those who have faith in God, those who have faith in Jesus Christ. The gospel tells us that God loves us. The whole reason why there's churches today is because God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Churches are not social organizations. Churches are not uh, of political organizations. Thank God for that. Churches are made up of individual believers, sons and daughters of God, who come together to love him, to receive love from him and extend that love to other people. Simple. My hope and prayer is that you'll get back on that love relationship with God. Maybe they're here this morning and you don't actually have a relationship with God today. You, you've, never, you've never experienced that love. Let me encourage you. The Bible says that God loves you so much that while you and I were still lost in our sin, Christ died for us. We read in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that that, that God made him, speaking of Jesus, who'd never sinned to become the sin offering for our sins so that you and I might experience God's righteousness. This is what that means. It means when Jesus was hanging on the cross, God was allowing all your sin and my sin 
allowing Jesus to actually absorb the punishment for that sin. So that you and I can have an exchange forgiveness, we can have a relationship with him. Christianity is not about doing these things right, avoiding these things. Christianity is about relationships, about knowing God personally. And if you don't know him this morning, if your mind, you're thinking to yourself, man, I think that I'm supposed to do a bunch of things to get rid of all my bad things. You can't do enough good to cancel out your bad. You need a Savior who's willing to forgive you, and Jesus is that Savior. Maybe you want a relationship with him this morning. I'm going to close in prayer. Man, I'm going to give you an opportunity to make that decision this morning. Let's all pray together. Father, thank you for your love and your goodness. God, thank you for this incredible book that gives us these letters that speak directly to the condition, not only of the churches in our world, but Lord, specifically to us. Lord, we want to be, have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to this church, to us as believers. And so, Lord, would you help us to get back on track? God, there's some that need to do some repenting right now. They need to get back to some repeating some of those first days, those first moments of walking with you and knowing you and experiencing your love. God, I want to pray that this would be a week of renewal, God, refreshment. I want to pray that this would be a week of, of revival in the hearts of men and women here at RVC. Lord, we get back to that loving, close fellowship like Mary, sitting at your feet, Jesus. I trust, God, your Holy Spirit's going to enrich our lives, God, as we take that step and say, God, we just want to know you. Would you bless us today?